Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're continuing this series, Songs of Summer, which will be covering psalms. We've chosen four distinct psalms. We're in part two today. Last week we covered Psalm 27. If you were not here, I advise you to please go listen to that message from last week. Um, that's probably one of my favorite ones. And Psalm 23 is what we're going to be covering today. Psalm 23, written by David. It's a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of devotion. It is full of declarations of faith. And it, it, you, when you read it, you can't help but feel like if we were standing there when David declared all of this goodness of God, it would be like it was just like you would see it just spring forth right out of his heart based on his gratitude for all that God had done for him. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to go back and break it down and kind of like uh, get all the richness of it, get all uh, the meat out of it. Amen? Amen? So, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If we just stop there, <laughs> it would be enough. It just declares the goodness of God and the majesty of God. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm here is probably one of the, one of the, one of the psalms that is done the most injustice to. Most of the time, we, we think we know it because we hear it. You go to a funeral, you're going to hear, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and it's just rote and, and just ritual. And, but when you break it down and when you really pay attention to it, how many of you come from the same background that I came from as far as church was? As you guys know, I was raised a Roman Catholic. Now, how many of you actually remember what it meant when we used to say the, um, oh my God, it just went out of my head. The Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. And we said it every week, right? Yet, if we would have paid attention to what we were saying, and if anybody would have bothered to explain it to us, it would have led us into a relationship of being born again with the Lord Jesus Christ. But because we so, you, you know, when you hear something over and over and over again, it's like it loses its, and that's, that's what's happened with this psalm. This psalm has so much greatness to it, so much encouragement, so much faith, so, much, so many promises. But one thing I want to read, I want to just point out to you before we get into just breaking this down. Verse 2 says, he makes me. Then after that, he leads me. There are certain times when God is going to position you in such a place 
because it's for our own good, there's other times that we have to yield to that leading. Thank God for the times that he makes us. Amen? Amen. So, David, we know, grew up out in the fields caring for his father, Jesse's sheep. So he knew a lot about the habits and nature of sheep. David would have been very much aware of the fact that sheep are completely dependent upon the shepherd for their life itself. Just everything a sheep needs, it is dependent upon the shepherd. Identifying God the Father as his shepherd, and David identifies himself as one of the sheep, David declares his faith in God's ability to provide all of his needs, even as a shepherd provides for the needs of the flock. And that's what we hear. In verse 1, that's what we hear. We hear that declaration of, you've never let me down. You're always there for me. You are the one who provides for my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I like to read it this way. I did a teaching on this many, many years ago, and I presented it this way. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he is. Now, I believe, I, I don't have any definite proof, but I believe that the Apostle Paul, who was an, an expert and a scholar in the Scriptures, probably caught a hold of this revelation. And you can almost hear it when he writes to the church of Philippi. We call Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. This is a statement that he made. Sounds very much like verse 1 of Psalm 23. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You hear that same, you hear that same recognition, that same declaration of faith. Now, if you read through the scriptures, you can't help but come to this conclusion that God has always desired to provide for his sheep. Amen? In Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we, we read of God planting this garden east of Eden, and in it he provided everything mankind would need to thrive, not just to survive, but to thrive. He, he gave them fruit trees. He gave them plants that bear, that bear vegetables. He gave them water. He, he provided shade from the trees. He, he even showed them, he even showed Adam where the gold was. He provided companionship. He provided someone for Adam to share his life with and to bring forth a family. Now let me ask you this question. Taking that all into consideration and knowing the nature of God, was there anything that Adam needed that was not supplied to him? No, not at all. God supplied all of his needs. And you know, I, I really didn't realize that this was going to be Father's Day weekend when I chose Psalm 23 for this weekend. But I'm glad it kind of coincides because you see, a father has to have components within his soul of a shepherd. That's, that's what dads do. Um, I have a couple of minutes I could tell this story. I always like to tell this story. I haven't told this one in a while. When, when our son Michael was getting, was, they were getting ready to mar get married, he and Tiffany were getting married, and um, it came time to plan the bridal shower. Um, and I don't think he would mind us telling the story. Um, a lot of the expenses fell on us. And so, you know, we're putting together this bridal shower, my wife and 
a couple of others. I don't remember who exactly was involved, some of the people from her side of the family. And so I said to Michael, I said, uh, you know, we're, we're paying for this whole thing here, so I really can't do that and, and get you a big gift at the same time. And he's like, okay. And uh, I said, so you know, this is going to have to be your gift. And he's like, all right. So when the time came for the bridal shower, in fact, it took place in this room when this room was half the size and we didn't have any place else to have it. So, you know, the whole room is set up with tables and it's packed with people. And in the front here was all these tables, you know, with all the gifts on it. And um, we had bought him a TV, nice size one. So I said to him, we were standing in the back over here, and I said to him, you know, uh, again, we couldn't really get you anything big because, you know, we're paying for this whole thing and stuff like this. And have any of you guys ever been involved in paying for a wedding and, you know, your kids getting married? How many, how many, let me see your hands. Don't let me hang in here. You know what I'm talking about. It gets expensive. And so um, when it came time to open the gifts and they came to that one and opened it, he's standing back there next to me. And I said to him, so were you surprised? He goes, no. He, he, so I looked at him, he goes, because that's what daddy does. And I was like, that was worth it. <laughs> As fathers, for those of you that are potential fathers for the future, for those of us that have been fathers, God deposits in the heart of a father a little bit of a shepherd. And for those of us that maybe weren't successful as dads, and every one of us would point back and say, I would do this different, I would do that different, do the other one different. There's only one perfect shepherd, remember that. A good father is always looking for ways to guarantee the welfare of his children. They will work as many jobs as physically possible. They will go back to school to get better jobs. And they will do without themselves so that their family can have a better life. That is the heart of our good shepherd, laying down his life for the flock. The goodness of our Father is a constant theme throughout the Scriptures. You cannot separate the goodness of God and the acts of the ultimate shepherd. Peter calls him the great shepherd of our souls. Always looking for ways to bless his children. Always looking for ways to guarantee their future. You don't hear it any better than Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and mind you, God is saying to the nation of Israel, the way I took care of Adam, the way I took care of Noah, the way I took care of Abraham, I will take care of you. Deuteronomy 6, they're just getting ready to go into the promised land. And the good shepherd, our Father in heaven, gives them this declaration through Moses. The Lord your God will soon bring you into a land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns that you did not dig. You will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. But when you have eaten, you're filling this land. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery 
in the land of Egypt. That is the heart of the good shepherd. The shepherd provides everything for his sheep. Not only water, pasture, green, grass to eat, but also safety and stability and contentment. God was saying, if we could put it in today's language, God's saying to the nation of Israel, the sheep of his pasture, as he says, I got you covered. I know how to hook you up. I've been planning for your provision generations before you arrived on the scene. I talked about this last night. I I wasn't planning to, but I'm glad I did. (laughs) There's a tradition. It's not in Scripture, but it's a tradition that the ancient rabbis taught. And the tradition states that you remember when Joseph was in Egypt. We don't have time to go into the whole story. Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob, ends up in Egypt in slavery, goes from slavery, eventually then becomes a second in command of the most powerful empire at that time. When his family comes on the scene and they find out who Joseph is and that he's their brother that they had sold into slavery many decades before, uh, eventually Pharaoh uh, gives Joseph permission to, to go call for the rest of your family because in Canaan, where the rest of the family was, was a terrible famine and they're starving to death. And so he says, call for your father, bring him here. Now, the rabbis taught, the ancient rabbis taught, that God gave instructions to Jacob that on his way to Egypt, now there was about 70 of them that left Canaan and went to Egypt to join Joseph. And the tradition says that God instructed Jacob to take a specific tree and plant them every so often at regular intervals from Canaan all the way to Egypt, knowing that 430 years later, his descendants were going to take that same trick from Egypt back to Canaan land, and they were going to need the wood of those trees to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. God has planned for everything that you need generations before you were even conceived. God's saying, I know how to hook you up. I got you covered. However, at the same time, all throughout human history, the enemy of our souls has been trying to preoccupy mankind with, listen to this now, perceived lack. Ever since the garden, perceived lack will destroy your hope. Perceived lack will cause you to live frustrated. Perceived lack will cause you to never come to the place where you are thankful and grateful for the things that God has given you. Think about it. That's how we trapped Eve. Didn't want her to really know what she had gotten. When you start focusing on what, listen to me, this is is a good life lesson here. When you start focusing on what you don't have, beware. You are being singled out for an attack against your mind and against your soul. The enemy constantly wants you to be aware of what you do not have. And it's a perceived thing. He will never point out to you what God has provided for you all along. There's a video on YouTube. I don't want to go into a lot of details. But every time there's a snowstorm, everybody starts posting this on Facebook. Where's the bread? Where's the milk? Where's the bread? Where's the milk? And it never ceases to amaze me that people that don't eat bread (laughs) and never drink milk, as soon as the first snowflake shows up, 
What do you run out to get? Come on, come on, come on. What do you run out to get? Bread and milk. Like you're going to sit there, snowbound, and take a piece of bread, dunk it in the milk, and that's all you're going to eat until the snow melts. What is that? Perceived lack. An awareness uh, that's based on fear that doesn't matter that you might have 50 pounds of meat in the freezer. It doesn't matter that you got 12 boxes of cereal in the pantry. You know, all kinds of other things. We got to get milk. We got to get bread. The same thing happens in the summertime as soon as there's any threat of a storm coming up the coast. What does everybody run and do? The storm could be 1,500 miles away. You go to the supermarket, there's not a bottle of water on the shelf. People that, they're sucking down Cokes all week long, don't drink any water. Storm comes, what are you going to go run and do? Water. That is based on fear. It's, the enemy does nothing else but to try to make mankind panic. Panic, because he knows when you panic, you're going to make wrong decisions. The shepherd's job is to make sure the flock is safe, fed, calm, and content. By nature, sheep are very docile animals. <laughs> sheep never attack anything. I, I just found that recently in studying this. They don't have upper teeth. They only have lower teeth. On the top, they got this very heavy, like, I don't know, like this denture thing or something. <laughs> and so you never hear of a person, like it's a jogger someplace, that all of a sudden a sheep came out from nowhere and just attacked them. First of all, they can't run. They get these stupid little feet. Very docile. They're always the prey. They're never the predator. The worst they could do to another animal is gum them to death. They have no way of defending themselves. They're completely dependent upon the shepherd for protection. Does it sound familiar? In and of ourselves, we have no weapons against the enemy of our soul. He eats us up and spits us out. But in God? In Christ? It's a whole different story. And David understood that it's the shepherd's responsibility to bring the, pl- the, the sheep to a place of calm and stability. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For sheep, there's no more calming place than nice, soft, green grass. There's no greater refreshing than still, cool waters. And we're told that sheep will not drink from a running stream. They'll they'll die of thirst. They will not drink from a running stream. It has to be still water. You you can see them get all nervous. What if I drown? (laughs) And those still cool waters can be compared to our spending time in the presence of God. Whether it's at church or at home, listening to worship music while driving in the car, These can all be places of cool, still, deep waters. And for the believer, there's no more peaceful place than our position of righteousness in Christ. 
is not something we earn. It's not something we can purchase. We are totally dependent on the shepherd to bring us by revelation of the word of God into that place of righteousness, that place that we know that when God looks at us, he's not looking at us. He's looking at Christ. He's looking at what Jesus has accomplished and the position of right standing that Jesus has with the Father. And there's something very unique about this relationship between the shepherd and his flock, and it's very much like a father with his children. Think about it. One does all the giving. The other one does all the receiving. And the one thing the shepherd has to be very mindful of, and we as dads, heads of the household, whether you're a dad or mom, is that the main things that should be on our mind constantly, not in worry and concern, but awareness and in faith, is that it's our responsibility to provide for our families. It's our responsibility to protect our families. Verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The key, the key phrase here, yeah, I will not be afraid to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not because I'm brave and not because I'm a tough guy. It's because you are with me. One of the divine names of God that's revealed in the scriptures in Hebrew is Jehovah Shammah. And don't get nervous when you hear that word Jehovah. Jehovah is kind of a transliteration of Hebrew uh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, we would say Yahweh, but when, I thought it was the rapture. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. <laughs> that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> right, that, I mean, what better place than here in church? So, Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present God, the Lord who is present continuously. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Do you think Jesus was aware of that? Yeah. He's with you forever. Your best friend, the one who never betrays you. And in an age of constant betrayal, in an age where there's such a lack of loyalty, where there's such a lack of honor, it comforts us to know that this, our shepherd, will never abandon us and never betray us. There's never a moment he's not with us. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends will soon come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, let me just take a few moments here to spend on this verse here. Shepherds in ancient times carried two main pieces of equipment. I want, you to, I want you to focus in on this because this is going to clarify a lot of religious thinking here, okay? The rod and the staff. The rod was a club about two feet long with a leather strap on the end so he could attach it to his waist and sometimes had uh, like spikes in the front part. And basically that is strictly for defensive purposes to guard against predators, mostly wolves. It's a very effective weapon in killing wolves before they could ravage the flock. The staff, on the other hand, was either, either a, a long just pole. Most of the times it had a curve at the end. That's used specifically to guide sheep and to regather those who have gotten off the path or started veering off in the wrong direction. 
I want you to hear this statement. I want you to, to emblazon this in your heart. The rod and the staff are not interchangeable. The rod is strictly only ever used on the enemy. The staff is only ever used on the sheep. You say, well, that seems obvious. Well, to not, not to some people. The rod was used to kill an enemy to protect the sheep from being devoured. The staff is only used for the benefit of the sheep. Religion would have us to believe that God sometimes resorts to the rod for wayward sheep. So if you're prone to wander away, maybe it's best if he breaks your leg so that you'll stay closer. Or maybe better yet, it might be best for God to kill you young because he knows eventually someday you may turn away from him. And these are things you actually hear people preach. Two people were watching a man drive a herd of sheep through a main street in a small town. One said to the other, I thought shepherds lead sheep. I didn't know they drove them with a whip. The other one said, a shepherd does. That's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. And that's what religion does to people. Religion drives people. That's not the character of the good shepherd. The good shepherd never uses the rod on his sheep. He always uses the staff to gently guide, to redirect, to regather. Yet some people have entertained the idea that sickness has come upon them because, you know, God's trying to get you in line. He doesn't use the rod to get you in line. He uses the rod on the enemy of your soul. That rod is symbolic of Jesus' authority over the devil. The power that's in his name, and he's given that power and that name to us. Amen? John, in 1 John chapter 3, it says this in verse 8, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. The staff is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, who leads us and guides us into all truth. He gently directs our steps on the path of fulfilling God's plan for your life. The Holy Spirit never beats a sheep down, never batters the sheep with guilt and condemnation. He convicts our heart and convinces us through the word of God. I want you to make sure that you get that deep down in your heart. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. The good shepherd protects our dignity and honor. He celebrates with us even before the battle is won. And the anointing of, of a person's head is a sign of honor and respect and potential for the future. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Not, not just stop by and visit, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The famous preacher from back in the 1800s, Charles, Charles Spurgeon, preached a message in which he taught that goodness and mercy were two heavenly messengers. He said, a shepherd always has two sheepdogs. The shepherd leads us. Goodness and mercy are the two sheepdogs that surround us and the rest of the flock, guarding us, nudging us along, keeping watch over us. Goodness and mercy work with the shepherd. David's final declaration of the goodness and the great, of the great shepherd of our souls. The ever-present shepherd will cover us and surround us with his presence and lead us 
into his eternal pasture. This coming week, I pray that you are very mindful of the ever-present Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is always with you, the Lord who is your shepherd, the Lord who knows how to deal with your enemy, and the Lord who knows how to redirect you when you get off. All of these promises hang on that very first declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. What David was saying is, I believe in God. I believe that God cares, and I especially believe that God cares about me. The Lord is our shepherd. Amen. Stand up, please. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.